So you, have you had a chance to experience Saratoga not in the pandemic, like the summer racing season and everything like that? Only as a tourist, only as we oh, come okay. up with, you know, you know, we, we got married here in 2011. Uh, I'd never been to Saratoga before, and we started coming up here regularly to stay with our folks, and it was like a free vacation, you know, stay with their parents. Um, so I've been here as a tourist for, for many, many, many years. But like I said, as a, as a local, as a resident, I've been here six months. Oh, wow. Six, six months and then everything, <laughs> shut down. everything shut down. You know, I had a list of places to go and things I wanted to do. Um, being in the city, a, a lot of people know Saratoga better than I do. And they'll ask me, oh, have you been here? Do you go here? I love this bar. I love this restaurant. Have you been hiking here? Have you been to this place? And it's, the answer is no. <laughs> everything shut down six months after we got here so yeah well i'm hoping it'll be nice to see saratoga up and running again as hopefully things ease and things become safer especially once racing season starts and the crowds start pouring in again but i should probably do an intro <laughs> totally right. totally forgot so anyone out there watching and listening welcome to another episode of stories from a virtual bar uh and what will be episode 42, I think, when I post the audio, uh, hopefully very shortly after this. Uh, I'm, of course, Chris Osborne, and I am hanging out with Dan McLaughlin of the infamous Pony Bar down in New York City. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks. Thank you very much for asking. Thanks for your time, and thank you for having me on. No, I, I'm absolutely honored to be chatting with you, and thank you for taking the time. <laughs> I know I reached out to you a long time ago. Yep. And we're just now finally taking a chance to chat. <laughs> So I'm excited I didn't think about it. I went back into the old emails and it was December of 19 that we touched base. Uh, yeah. And I just moved here. And I think you said in the, I think you said you were from the Albany area and yep. uh, yeah. And then right after that, the pandemic hit. And so. Yeah. But uh, I got a lot of fun stuff to talk about. By the way, if you see me looking to the side a lot, it's just because that's where my notes are. It's, All right. Right. <laughs> it's not, I'm not feigning interest by looking away. Uh, what are you drinking? I noticed you sipping on something there. I am right now drinking Greenpoint Beer Works, beautiful oh. Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Um, they recently expanded from a five-barrel system to a 20-barrel system. They lost their lease. They relocated. They're still within the Greenpoint neighborhood of Brooklyn. Um, this is called Disaster Capitalist. It came out last week. It's a double dry hopped IPA. It's 6.8%. Um, we do a ton of business with them, both cans and draft. Uh, they're a great they're a great local brewery. When they were on a five barrel system, they were, it was tough to get their stuff. Now that they've expanded, it's pretty easy. Awesome. I am sipping in on some Common Roots. Oh yeah, ultra modern American pale ale. Great, great brewery. We, it we is. Did the launch, we did a launch for them at the Pony with uh, is it Christian Weber? Yep. Is he, yep. Uh, him and his father, I believe, correct in the place, right? Correct. Yeah. Uh, we did a launch for them at the Pony back in maybe 2016 or so, 2017. Oh, cool. So Yeah. I haven't had a chance to, uh, obviously their first brewery burned down and they just opened the the new one uh, almost exactly a year ago, right around this time. I don't think they've been open to the public yet. I think it's still order and pick up, but uh, I want to, I've been itching to take a drive up there and check it out. Like there's a lot of uh, beautiful places uh, in Saratoga and Go, going into Queensbury, some real great breweries. There's some great spots in uh, in Glens Falls as well. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm a big fan, so we go up there a bit. So, I think, um, in fact, I think the last time I was in Saratoga was I went to Artisanal. Right. Uh, I believe they recently relocated. Yep. Uh, yeah, I haven't been to the checked out their temporary tap room in Wilton yet. 
but yeah, artisanal was always one of my favorite places to stop at. I've had Kurt on the podcast a couple of times, super nice guy. And the, one of my favorite things about them was if you don't go up there for a while, they have a whole, <laughs> whole different beer menu the next time you're there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what kind of system they're on, but they do a lot of stuff. Um, when the pony bar reopened in May after being closed for three months, uh, I stopped by artisanal on a couple of occasions and bought a few cases of their beer. And then I sold it in the city, you know? Oh yeah. Just, uh, for something to do something different, you know? And, uh, another one in Malta unified beer works. I don't know if you've been there yet or had a chance that's making some real great stuff. They're doing great stuff. Also like, like, uh, artisanal I've stopped by there I bought a few cases of beer here and there multiple times and I'd sell them in the pony in the city you know awesome glad to hear you're getting some of the local places down at the pony bar that's great yeah uh, I've done some stuff with druthers and then uh, I've swung and missed a couple times is it Walton Whitman yeah yeah uh, I've missed their cans here and there but I'm gonna keep trying I've had I've only had a chance to try one of their beers so far and it was fantastic and they're getting some good recognition too from what I've been seeing online so yeah everything I've had from them the few things have been, has been very very good so I like to I like to pick up cases here and there and then just sort of drive them down to the city and then we hand sell them it's uh it's cool awesome I know it's a uh... So I'm excited not only to have you on, April's a big month for me. This is three years I've been doing the podcast this month. So this is kind of kicking off my little three-year celebration. I've got something in the works every weekend this month. Uh, We're doing this virtually, but next week I'm actually going back to an on-location episode and I could not be more excited. That's great. I haven't haven't done one since November when I was talked to Dave Gardell from The Ruck in Troy. Okay, sure. And because uh, obviously all the COVID cases started to trend upward and my girlfriend has asthma. So I didn't want to take the chance, of course. So I started cranking stuff out at home, which has been cool. I've been drinking more when I do it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's funny being up here now after being in the city for the last quarter of a century because you have to drive everywhere. So you can't, you know, have a few and then find out you got to go pick up the kids. Yeah. You know, you got to sort of taper it a bit. Yeah. So doing that this is hopefully the last virtual edition for a while and i can get back to on location stuff in fact i'll be going to mixed breed brewing uh in gilderland that's has their grand opening in two weeks so i'm going to be hanging out with the owner next weekend at the brewery to record an episode hopefully release that along with their grand opening uh, that's great shout out to josh casano thanks says congrats on the three years and my buddy aaron who's watching too uh yeah, but it's been mostly virtual episodes for like the last year, really, since the pandemic kicked in because, you know, that happened and I wasn't sure what I was going to do with the podcast because, you know, part of the feeling I go for is to try to get some ambiance and like background and beyond location stuff, which, of course, also helps promote the business for whoever mm-hmm. I'm talking to. But so I've got more stuff planned this month between talking to you. So a couple live streams, uh, virtual happy hour on my an- the anniversary of the first episode, which will be on the 23rd or the 24th. And uh, even more exciting, I'm finally going to get my first vaccine dose tomorrow. So I'm well, pretty stoked about that. Congratulations. Uh, yeah. Moderna or Pfizer? Pfizer. All right. I had the Moderna. Uh, have you had both? yeah yeah the first moderna i was fine i didn't miss a beat everything was great the second one put me down for about two days wow Um, yeah i've heard the moderna second dose has been a little more uh 
vicious than the Pfizer one. Yeah, supposedly that means it's working. <laughs> That's supposedly- I, I've heard that too. I mean, it's, you're getting the fever and the cure in the same dose, you know? So, yeah. So, yeah, I talked to you when I emailed you about the podcast uh, shortly after I came home from a day trip from the city, actually. Okay. So I had gone down. It was first time I had actually been to the Pony Bar. Uh, but I had gone down to talk to Jack McGarry, one of the owners of the Dead Rabbit for yep. the podcast. Uh, funny enough, me and him had a common acquaintance who had hooked us up so i was going to go down chat with him it was december and i had actually never been down to the city in christmas time so that was okay. cool best I usually, time of the year best time uh, of yeah year. it was awesome uh, living in schenectady it's i mean it's only a two and a half hour train ride but i've always gone down usually summertime but uh, i remember asking for recommendations on facebook because i wanted to at least fit in a couple of places i haven't been before because mcsorley's is someplace i always try to stop when i'm down there yep um so I ended up stopping at the Dead Rabbit. Of course, Jack had to reschedule on me after I got down there. So I didn't record a podcast that day. So it was a day of just riding the train and stopping for drinks. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's 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 almost every day in the city if you, if you want it to be, you know. Oh yeah, I mean I'm not. I had a blast still, uh, but I had yeah. I stopped at Franz's Tavern yep. down there, which I had never yep. been to. That was a cool environment, and cool. just. Great, great spot. Yeah, great just spot. trying to wrap my head around like just the history of the building and how long that's been there. That was mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did then, you get uh, a chance to try their porterhouse beers that they brew yes. in Ireland? Yeah. 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 It was really good. I don't, I'd have to look back at my Instagram to see which one I had, but I don't remember. Uh, they have a number of locations in Ireland around, in and around Dublin and Bray and uh, Temple Bar and called Porterhouse Brewing. And these are the sort of the people connected with Porterhouse Brewing that have Francis Tavern here in the, in the city. So. Yeah, but that was a cool place. Uh, and then of course I went to the Dead Rabbit, still had a beer and a burger, which was delicious. Yeah. Uh, to, you know, get to check that out all the way at the bottom of the island and worked my way back up as it was raining. Uh, stopping at McSorley's. So it's, it's an experience every time I've stopped there, the three or four times I've been in, because... I love just ordering light or dark. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Order, just, order one, they give you two and you're charged for both. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's cash, on, cash only. And it's great. I, I yeah. lived around the corner from there. My wife and I lived just at the end of that street for seven years. So we were in there oh, a wow. lot. So yeah, yeah. It's great. And in fact, one of my, uh, I think the first time I was there, I ended up talking cause they have the communal tables talking to an older woman that was in town excuse me, visiting her daughter. She was telling me she was going to her friend's wedding out in like Seattle and her friend was marrying the drummer for Journey. And I guess some of the members of KISS were going to be there. I'm like, what? (laughs) That's great. That's outstanding. And of course, all the memorabilia on the wall. One of my favorite stories, I don't remember who told me while I was there. They were there when Colin Farrell came stumbling in drunk one day with like an arm around a woman woman on each other. And then uh, I'm a big Rangers fan, so I love hearing about the Rangers, like when they won the cup and brought it to McSorley's and ended up damaging it. <laughs> yeah. Um, when they won the cup in 1994, they brought the cup to what is now the Pony Bar. Initially in 1994, that was a place called the Blue Moon. Uh, oh, Blue wow. Cafe. It was a big Rangers hangout. Uh, the main investor in the chain of Blue Moon, so there was one in, one in Chelsea, one on the Upper East, one on the Upper West, one in New Jersey, one in Rockland County. Five Blue Moon locations the main money was a, a former New York Ranger hockey player named Ron Greshner. 
Yeah. Rush. Um, so in 94, when the Rangers won the cup, they brought it to the Blue Moon, which is now the Pony Bar. Awesome. So that was the Blue Moon from 1989 to 2011. When I so it. before they had the cup taken away from them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> from what I've heard. And, and it's funny because 1994, 27 years ago, people will come in and they'll say, oh, I was here the night. I was here the night the Rangers brought the cup in. I was here oh, the man. night. You know, and it's, they tell the story and they, they touched it and their friend drank out of it and so on and so forth. You know, fact, I just saw the other day, Mark Messier is going to be releasing a book soon. So that I'm looking forward to yep. seeing what he puts in there. <laughs> yeah. He's one of only two men that have won six Stanley cups. Yeah. That's insane. And the other is Glenn Anderson. Glenn Anderson. That's right. I know that name. Five, five with the Edmonton Oilers and one with the Rangers. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but after McSorley, that's when I worked my way up and finished off at the Pony Bar there. So my first well, time there, you. and it was, like I said, great selection. I loved, like, I got there like right when it opened. So I, I was the only one there for a little bit, just chatting with the bartender. But uh, yeah, that was a great spot. And then I ended up catching the train home, heading back to the station and catching the train home. But like, and that's, I don't remember if I, I emailed at you initially at some point in that day. And my plan was uh, once I rescheduled with Jack, because I was, I wanted to come back down to the city in the spring, I was going to schedule something with Jack, talk to you. So maybe try to do both of them in the same day. And then of course, you know, COVID hits and just cut off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everything, everything, everything changed. And only, only now a year later, 13 months later, things are still, you know, ramping back up. It's not, we're not back to where we were, obviously, as you know. Yeah. But I eventually did a virtual episode with Jack. Now I'm doing one with you. So it's come full circle. That one day trip a year later has finally come full circle. <laughs> it's come to fruition. Sometimes things take time, you know, it's a lot of hurry up and wait in the city, you know? So, but yeah, yeah I'm itching to get back down there once, you know, things feel safer vaccine wise and virus wise and everything. Cause it's one of my favorite places to go for the day trip and check things out. I don't know if I could handle living down there. Honestly. It's intense. It's really intense. My wife and I were there for tw almost a quarter of a century in Manhattan. Um, they say when you move from New York City, you don't leave, you quit because living there is a job and it's, in, it's tough and it's mind-blowingly expensive. Yeah. And we have two really young kids. Uh, my daughter just turned nine and my son will be seven here in a couple of weeks. And we were there for, for years. They, they think of themselves as city kids and it's, uh, it's a wild ride. I, I recommend it. Like, I recommend everyone should live there for a while. What was uh, the adjustment like for your kids then going from that kind of environment to something they're not familiar with? It was great. It was great because we have a, you know, we were in a, your traditional, what's called a two plus two, two bedroom, two bathroom apartment, uh, you know, 1100 square feet, um, high rise building. And now we have our own yard. We have a huge yard and we have a big house and we're all spread out. And even though it's not a big house, it's a big house to them because what we had, you know, but yeah. you know, it's not a big house, but it's a big house for them. So they've, they've adjusted really well. They're in a school right here in town and people have been really welcoming, you know, what I've learned in the 18 months I've been here is that there's a ton, not a few, not a lot, a ton of people like me that commute to the city weekly um it's, it's yeah it's crazy to hear about uh, yeah how many people actually do that everyone it's, loves the you know being there but they also try to live outside of the city <laughs> we looked yeah we were looking other we were looking at westchester and rockland we looked at spots in new jersey we looked at spots in long island but we really like my wife is from up here and we knew our money would go farther and 
you know, we just wanted a different lifestyle and we, we, I think we thought, I guess we found it. So, uh, but the kids have adjusted really well. My wife, we're doing fine. Everything's great up here. Awesome. So. How, how often are you going down to the city then? We, um, sorry. My no, no problem. Today. Um, we, so we moved here in August of 19 and I was going down twice a week. Uh, we still have an apartment in the city. Um, I would do one down and back on the train, maybe one down and back. I'd drive and spend the night, stay in the apartment. Um, then we closed and I wasn't down for a number of months. We reopened in May. In May, I was down two or three times a week. Uh, we closed again in first week of December, second week of December. We closed because in the city, it's tough to explain because everybody's neighborhood or town or city is in their own sort of bubble. Yeah. And New York City, I think, as most people remember, was sort of ground zero for COVID in, in, in America. Um, and things were shut down. You know, Governor Cuomo shut things down immediately. And we like we just, you know, again, back in December, we lost indoor dining. It came back October 1st. We lost it again in December. Um it's tough. It's really, it's to it's go, it's really just to go and a little bit of dining in Every, bars and restaurants are really struggling. Restaurants are really struggling, but bars are as well, especially if you're not food forward, if people yeah. are coming in to eat, then they, you know, it's, it's sort of tough. Uh, so to answer your question, eventually uh, I go down <laughs> usually twice. A I week. almost forgot what it was. <laughs> yeah. I, I, go, I try to go down twice a week. I do one down and back. I usually, well, before COVID, there was a different train schedule. Um, I catch the 5 a.m. train out of Albany mm -hmm. and get the last train back. Um, so I get back around midnight. But um, those, the train schedule is different now. So now I just drive and it's fine. Yeah. The, uh, how, is, uh, how has the train been taking that? Vacant. It's uh, Vacant. deserted. Um, I, the last time I took the train was February of 20. And I took it again for the first time in October of 20. And they're only, I think they're limiting seating to 50% capacity, I think. And when mm -hmm. you buy your ticket, like on the mobile app, it tells you where you are, like we're at 35% capacity or at 20, you know, 20% capacity. Um, but really the train is really vacant. I'm on the, the only, I think the, the earliest train out of Albany is 6 a.m. And it's, there's nobody on it. Wow the train coming back is less. So if you go into Penn station, uh, you can go into Penn station on a Friday night at seven o'clock going Thursday night at seven o'clock. There's not a soul. It's, it's just nobody. The shops are closed. A lot of the stores are closed. Pizzerias are closed. It's like me, a homeless guy and Krispy Kreme donuts. And that's it, <laughs> you know, and then you get on the train and you're, you, you know, you wait to get home. It's very, it's very, it's desolate and it's barren. It's very, very quiet down there. Wow. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. I mean, obviously being in a big city like that, it's something you really only see if you don't already live there. You've only seen in TV where, you know, after there's been some kind of apocalypse or something, it's just like the eeriness of a giant city like that being empty. I mean, is that really what the most eerie thing is when you're there? Just as so many yeah, less people out? The quietness, the quietness, especially in the evening, because right now we still have a 10 p uh, 11 p.m. curfew. But that's not 11 p.m. last call. That's 11 p.m. Our store has to be vacant. Yeah. We do last call for food at 10 p.m. We do last call for food at uh, drinks at 10, 15, because the store is supposed to be vacant, uh, except for employees by 11 p.m. 
Um, so we have to close earlier and it's, the streets are very, very, very quiet. You wow. know, you walk out of a bar at one or two or three in the morning, grab a slice, you grab falafel, you hit the pharmacy, you go to the deli. Everybody's closed. Everybody's locked up and it's very quiet. Yeah. That's like I said, I've only gone down to visit. So not living there, but that, that just, it sounds hard to grasp my head around with the experience, just with the experiences I've had there, but. Yeah, it's, it's very, it's very different. It's going to be a long time before the city comes back as to what it was. Certain neighborhoods will bounce back sooner than others. Uh, heavily residential neighborhoods, certain neighborhoods in Brooklyn and Queens, the city will, will bounce back sooner, but certain neighborhoods like Bryant Park, Times Square, Herald Square yeah. um, are going to be quiet. I think quiet for quite some time. Wow. So you spent 20 years down in the city. Are you even from New York? Where are you from? I am. I'm originally from upstate as well. I grew up oh. about an hour north of Syracuse near in Oswego County. Oh, okay. Um, I usually go with my family. We like to go up to the Thousand Islands in the oh, yeah. summer. So sure. basically go to that. Syracuse and then go up until you hit the border. <laughs> yeah, I'm just north of Syracuse, uh, about an hour, Oswego uh, County. But uh, yeah, I, I bartended all through college uh, for years and years and then decided to move to New York City in 97 or 98. So 98. Yeah. What, uh, what was the motivation behind that move? Just wanted to experience big city? A couple of things. Uh, primarily, I followed a girl there. <laughs> the, the main reason for me winding up in New York City. I followed a girl to New York and I followed a girl out of New York. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been very beneficial to me. Um, you know, I don't know why the analogy just popped in my head of moving to the city seems like a great day. The next great day is leaving. Like when you buy a boat, that's a great day. When you sell your boat, it's a great day. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had been a bartender for, I guess, about six years in Syracuse. I, went to, I graduated from Lemoyne College, yep. um, small Jesuit college in Syracuse. I bartended my way through and I wanted to keep doing it. I didn't want to use my degree. I didn't feel like getting a job. Um, I, was, I was running a brewery called Empire Brewing Company in Syracuse. Yeah, we opened up. We opened in 1994. I was the head guy behind the bar for a number of years, and I just decided to, you know, take my show on the road, so to speak. You know, <laughs> well, I was going down to visit New York a lot. Um, yeah. usually at least once a month with this girl, and uh, I just you'd see the bartenders at these incredibly busy bars, insanely busy bars three deep, four deep, five deep with customers, people waving money back back when people paid, still paid cash. And I was like, I wonder if I can do that. I wonder if I'm as fast enough to, to do this. Like, I think I'm pretty fast. I think I'm pretty knowledgeable, but this is like the big time for bartending. For bartending in America, New York City is really where it's at. And uh, just sort of went down there. I didn't know anybody. <laughs> just found, sort of found my way and uh, it worked out exceptionally well. I'm very fortunate. Awesome. Uh so, obviously the pony bar has certainly made a name for itself with the on the craft beer scene and everything like that did you when did you start developing an interest in craft beer and i mean even especially american ones and i started bartending in 1992 uh empire brewing company opened in 1994 within a within a year of us opening we won our first gabf medal and uh i learned early on as a bartender that brew pubs and micro, you know, micro breweries and all this were new in the early mid nineties. And nobody really knew a lot about it. And I learned as a bartender, the more I could learn about this type of business and this type of craft and these beers, the, the more enjoyable the process became not only for myself, but for the customer it became a more enjoyable experience. Um, 
and I just sort of became a sponge. And a guy a couple of years ahead of me in college owned, was a partner in some bars in, in the city. And one of those bars was the Blind Tiger, which is still in existence. It's sort of an iconic, iconic bar. I was going to say, like, as soon as I know the name, I don't recall, I don't know if I've been in the Blind Tiger. It's, uh, it's, sort of the granddaddy of what what we do as far as beer bars. Um, when I worked there back in the late 90s, it was, they had you know, Guinness and Boddington's and the, the better Newcastle, the better quality stuff, the better quality imports. But at the same time, they were sort of the go-to for American beer. And um, the guy that was a couple years ahead of me in college was a partner there. And through him, uh, through, you know, alumni and nepotism, I was, I was <laughs> brought on board. Um, it was a great fit. And then, so I've been sort of developing this, this American beer idea for a long, long time. Um, in 2000, I left there and I got in bed with the Irish, as we say, and we opened this massive, massive, massive uh, pub called Puck Fair. It's no longer there. Um, it was there for 16 years. I was there for the first six as a head bartender, bar manager. One of the busiest bars in New York City, one of the largest Guinness accounts in North America. We did between 20 and 24 kegs of Guinness every week, week in, week wow. out for the six years. And that's just Guinness. Um, my employers that owned it uh, are partners in the Dead Rabbit. They own the Dead Rabbit. They own Ulysses. They own uh, Swift in the East Village. Um, some other properties as well, some other concepts. But they're sort of, you know, sort of the go-to guys for Irish pubs in, in New York City. Yep. Um, so I did that for six years. That was amazing. And I got all those merit badges. And then uh, I got a partner and we opened our first bar in Hell's Kitchen. It was, it's called Lansdowne Road. I was there for 11 years. It's gone now. It was there for, I think, 15. I was there for the first 11 as an owner and partner. Yep. Um, but once we opened that, I had always been into this idea of American beer, American beer. And it wasn't even craft beer. It wasn't even micros. It was American beer. And it was my belief then and it's my belief now all these years later that some of the best beer brew being brewed in america in the world is being made right here in our own backyards that was my sort of concept in 2007 2008 when we got the ball going to do our second bar um it's something i believed then and i, and I believe it even more so today um so in 2008 we signed a lease at the time i had a business partner we signed a lease in hell's kitchen to do the original pony bar and we opened in 09 and we took off like a rocket ship and it was incredibly successful. 2012, 2011, we signed a lease to do the Pony Bar on the Upper East Side, which is where you were. Um, yeah. Again, successful. Um, and then we did another bar in Hell's Kitchen as well. <laughs> and then in 2015, we decided to go our separate ways. Um, so I got the pony bar on the Upper East Side and the brand and the brand and the logo and all the intellectual property and social media and all that. And he, my, he kept the original three stores in Hell's Kitchen. Um, so, yeah, so I've been working in and around and on American beer and the idea of American beer for many, 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 many years. Wow. So. It's it's great to hear the history of the buildup and what led to the pony bar being a thing. <laughs> yeah yeah you know initially initially two people people are, you know are always supportive but there was a lot of like this is a great idea this is a great concept but you should put this concept somewhere else because hell's kitchen is not 
you know, it's not viable for this, but that was proved immediately wrong. Uh, it was, it was a vibrant neighborhood. Uh, it was sort of filled with traditional Irish pubs and sports bars and divey bars. Um, so the people were already there, but, um, a lot of people said, well, you'll never make it without imports. You gotta, so it was always the same thing. You got to have imports. You got to have bass. You got to have Yingling and you got to have Stella. So like, well, Yingling's imported from Pennsylvania. So that's not even an import, you know, Pennsylvania last I checked is still part of America. Um, so, you know, and then people said, Oh, you got to have 20 ounce pints. If you don't have 20 ounce pints, which was a thing back then, if you remember those days, I don't know how old you are. Uh, no, I don't even, I don't remember 20 ounce pint, I, but then I've seen so many different pint glasses when I've gone to place. I've right. At, by um, now that I, it's hard to. In imagine. New York city, the 20 ounce pint, especially in the Irish pub was really the thing. Everybody had 20 ounce pints. Um, and we don't offer 20 ounce pints because you don't need 20 ounces of a 9% double IPA. It's just, I know, uh, you know, productive. Uh, <laughs> that, that's that, that's the start and end to a drinking excursion yeah yeah you're all done you yeah. one and done it, you know we do we were the first bar in the city to uh do short pours that you know the eight ounce pours initially um first bar in new york to do only american beer now it's somewhat commonplace uh one of the first bars in new york to do away with tap handles you don't use tap handles we haven't used tap handles since 2011 uh first bar in new york to utilize screens for our beers with the side I didn't know I didn't know you were the first I've heard the stories of going in fact I caught your untapped happy hour that you did oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so the stories behind switching from the chalkboard to the screen was pretty funny people standing there waiting for someone to finish right in the next beer they got tapped <laughs> no everything was already pre-written so if an IPA kicked you, as a bartender you could say well we've got three choices we've got Bear Republic Racer 5 or we've got uh you know Smutty Nose Finest Kind IPA we've got choices for the next IPA and the bartender could tap whatever IPA they wanted so the screw uh, the slats the the sort of like train train style slats were already pre-written oh okay a matter of somebody standing up and putting them up there and <laughs> um so like they would go up and then we, in 2011, I guess we switched to screens and we had a lot of problems with the original software because we were using, even though it was brand new to us, it was really outdated technology. Um, and there was a lot of hiccups that it took a week or so to sort of fine tune things and people, you know, it, it worked out well. It worked out. It was fine. It just took a little time, you know, at that point we were three years old, I guess, or, and people were sort of set in their ways, but you have to continue to evolve. You have to, you can't, the slats were great for a long time, but then it was time to move to a new technology. Yeah. Uh, that's a great segue into a question. I was thinking, I, I mean, you opened in 2000, the Pony Bar in 2009, clearly, I mean, you opened it at the right time to really catch the wave of the explosion of craft beer and, you know, not just New York, but just around the country as it's grown. I mean, what kind of shifts have you seen in the, decade plus years you've been open either like even in new york city or the craft beer scene speaking specifically to new york city um one of the things you really had to have early on in the craft to be considered a serious beer bar to sort of have your propers about you you had to have cascal and when we opened in 2009 we had cascal we had a two uh hand pump anagram from england uh cascal so we were able to do two at a time and the mindset was that, well, we'll do two at a time until it doesn't sell. And at some point it will stop being popular and we'll just run one because it's super, super um, 
delicate. It's got to be served as fresh as possible. Once that is tapped, that cask is tapped and hard spile, you've got maybe a week to pour it off. It's 10.8 gallons and you better be, you better find some people that want it. <laughs> and because otherwise you're, it's going to come off after a week and it's going to start to turn immediately because it's not pasteurized and it's served at 52 degrees. We had a special cascale box built for these two things. Um, we also had separate breather hoses that once you remove the hard spile, you, before you tap a cast, you hard spile it, release the pressure, pop the hard spiles, then you tap it and control the flow from the faucets on the cast. But we had these air hoses come in and it provided five pounds of PSI. It sort of created a bed of, of CO2 to keep the, the beer you know viable and fresh. Huh. Um, we were so busy and Cascale was so popular that we were doing two a week. We were doing two or three casks every week for years, for years. And it was, then it became impossible to source casks. Everybody started doing Cascale. Sports bars started adding Cascales. Irish pubs were adding Cascales. Everybody was doing Cascales. So now you can't find Cascales. So oh, then wow. I went out and bought my own cooperage. And then I would take my cooperage that I bought, I bought these casks for about 160 bucks a piece. And I would mail them all over the country. I'd mail them up to Maine and Sebago or shipyard would fill them. I'd mail them to Vermont, Long Trail and Otter Creek would fill them. I'd mail them to California and Bear Republic and, and Knee Deep would fill them. So then we'd get them back and they were incredibly popular. And then around 2015, less popular and then less popular. So we started doing one cask at a time. Um, and then cask became available again because everyone had stopped selling them at this point. And I stopped mailing my casks around the country. Um, and by 2018, we simply pulled the plug on it. We, were, we would tap a cask, we'd get 12 pints or 16 pints out of it, and then we'd have to dump the rest. Um, wow. It just stopped being a viable thing. So that's one of the big changes. You had to have cask, and now nobody's doing casks. Excuse me. That's one of the big, uh, the, one of the things that comes to mind initially. The other big thing is the, um, importance of having local beer when we first opened locally there was six point there was brooklyn there was chelsea brewing company there was like three breweries in new york city uh, mm -hmm. single cut came on the scene a bit later but it didn't really matter to have local now everything is local everything is you know other half you have threes you have grim you have interborough kcbc you have fifth hammer you have greenpoint you have I don't know how many breweries are in New York City. Sixty, maybe, in the five boroughs. You have Kills on Van Island. You have a ton. They're Short all. Ground. They're mostly over in like the Brooklyn area, right? There's not tech really a lot on the actual Manhattan Island, right? Manhattan just got their first brewery back since the 1990s. Uh, it's called Torch and Crown. I've they, see, okay. I've seen the name. Their beers are quite good. Um, they bought the old Chelsea Brewing Company in the Bronx. They were doing production out of there. They were doing all the Common Roots kegs after Common Roots had the fire. Yeah. Oh, um, wow. So they have a big system in the Bronx that they bought, but they opened down in Soho maybe a month or two ago. So it's the first working brewery in Manhattan since the little, well, Chelsea Brewing Company stopped brewing in 2014. So about seven years. Wow. Um, I didn't realize it's been that long. Yeah, it's been seven years. So the emphasis, the emphasis on having local is really important. Um, and first, people wanted beers from Colorado. They wanted beers from 
California. They wanted beers from Vermont and from Maine. They wanted it from these brewery hotspots. But really the emphasis, and then, and then local became Albany or Syracuse because it's from New York <laughs> State. And then all of a sudden now Captain Lawrence in Westchester isn't even really local. It's hyper local. It's, you know, that's the second thing I've seen. The other thing, another thing I've seen is the price of kegs has, has skyrocketed. When we first opened in 2009, keg of Sierra Nevada, 125 bucks, keg of Long Trail, $114, keg of Lake Placid Ubu Ale, $125. Now kegs, other half are $300, $320, $340. Damn. Threes, rim. A lot of these kegs, especially grim, and I'm not calling out names and I'm not trying to you know, isolate breweries for their, I'm not trying to criticize anybody on their pricing. But no. a lot of breweries, a lot of these kegs are upwards of $300 or more. Um, so that's changed. <laughs> so <laughs> you have, you're constantly juggling margins. Um, yeah. People are vastly more knowledgeable um, now than they were when we first opened. Um, when we opened in 09, most people had been to a brew pub. Most people had gone skiing and gone to a brew pub or had gone hiking and gone to a brew pub. People knew what a brew pub was. Now, most people that come in our doors, like, oh, I've been, I've been to other half a dozen times. I've been to threes a dozen times. I've been to Grimm a dozen times. I've been to Fifth Hammer. I've been to Casey. I've been to all these places, you know, um, because of the proximity and the subway system. It's People are vastly more knowledgeable about the product and about yeah, that is just chatting with all the um, brewers or bar people I have. It's crazy to hear some of the detail that they go into and in the conversations they've had with just, you know, general customers that have picked up on stuff over the years. Yep. I mean, have you been surprised by anything you thought was going to catch on that didn't or something that died out that you never expected? I never expected Cascal to fall as far and as fast as it did. Um it completely went off the radar. Um, this cascade was a big thing. Uh, you know, beer tourism is a real thing. People will travel for beer, whether it be a brew pub or a bar or more so a brewery. People will travel for that experience. And Cascal was the same way. People would come in specifically because we knew Cascal and we had it and it was fresh. Um, and those were big checks. You know, three guys come in and they have four pints of Cascal each and they have two appetizers and they have three sandwiches and then that's a big tab. And that, that all went away, you know, um, uh, unrelated to the beer business. One thing that's really caught my eye over the last couple of years or three years is the ascension of cocktails, um, and, and hard liquor, um, oh. liquor. It's not something we've chased, but it's something that we had to sort of come to grips with. Yeah. Um, people are really, really into cocktails now and they're very knowledgeable about them in the same way a lot of people like us are into beer and knowledgeable about beer and the, maybe the backstory behind a brewery or the brewer or the entomology of a, of a brewery, people are the same way about cocktails now. And, you know, since 2009, I've watched our, our beer sales have sort of, they're strong and it's our, it's our, still our base, but liquor has really become a big thing. You know, liquor has surpassed foods, our food sales. Wow. About two years ago, we were, draft beer, then food, and then liquor. Now we're draft beer, canned beer. We added canned beer three years ago. Draft beer, canned beer, f liquor, and food. So, yeah, we added can. you know, when 16 ounce cans became a thing, because um, we only sell draft beer. We have no package for the first, I guess, nine years. Mm -hmm. um, we were missing out on a lot of stuff. People would come in looking for stuff that was only available in New York and cans. 
I'm like, well, okay, these, these are $70 cases of beer, $90 cases of beer, which back then was sort of eye-opening. Now it's the norm. And I figured, well, we'll, 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 we'll try, we'll try canned beer. We'll try it out. I wasn't optimistic that it was going to sell because we had to sell it at a higher price point and it flew. It just took off. Um, and now we do, I was hoping initially to do maybe two cases a week before the pandemic, we were doing eight or nine or 10 cases a week wow. of just different stuff that would just fly out the door. Yeah. It's I just wasn't a, anticipating. Another one of those things that exploded. I think yeah. as, again, as more people got interested in craft beers and stuff, if that's the only way that stuff, <laughs> those particular yeah. ones are available, it's going to start if, flying. If a, a customer or a patron is interested in a certain brewery and not everything is dr- available on draft. Some things are, are cans only, and you want to sort of try to make these things available to your patrons. So people would come in, oh, do you have this from KCBC? I don't, it's only in cans. Or do you have this from Interborough? I don't, it's only in cans. And then, so we get the cans in, and, it, and it sells really well. So it proved that there was a market there for canned beer, which I didn't see happening in, in, a, in a bar, you know? Wow. So it's been great. It's been great for us. So you just have to continue to evolve. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned the liquor thing. Like I said, I talked to Jack from the Dead Rabbit, and uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Speakeasy 518 in Albany. No, I'm not. Uh, or the City Beer Hall in Albany. There's a little no. speakeasy below it. Uh, definitely cocktail-oriented. I've talked to the manager, Emmanuel Tresky there. Just the the knowledge behind the drinks and the, what they do is fascinating and just mind-blowing. It's, inc- it's incredible, the intricacies of these cocktails. Um, when we started... B- you know, old, I'll use old fashions and Negronis as an example. They're easy drinks to make. They're sort of timeless classics. We used to sell 20 old fashions a week, 25, 30 old fashions a week. Before, when we closed it back last March before the pandemic, we were selling well over 150 old fashions a week. Wow. Just, it just became a thing. It skyrocketed. And so you sort of have to step up and make sure, you know, and then my bartender's like, well, well, I don't want to work at a cocktail bar. I'm like, it's not a, it's not a, we're not a cocktail bar and we're, we're not a beer bar. We're not a sports bar. We're not an Irish bar. We're, we're, we're a third space for people. We're not their apartment. We're not their 400 square foot apartment and we're not their office. <laughs> we're, we're not their workspace. We're a third space for these people. And if it's, you know, if people are looking for liquor, we, we have the liquor. It's right behind you on the bar, you know? So let's, let's rise up and, you know, let's do it. So how'd you end up with the, um, Upper East Side location. Um, in the separation, you mean? Um, well, I mean, what was what was it about that location that you said this is a good spot to open a pony bar? Um, the the bar that was there was for sale and had been for sale for a long time. And we had this idea at the time for the first, I guess, eleven years. I had a business partner, and we were the pony in Hell's Kitchen was so successful that we thought we could take it on the road. We thought we had a concept that would travel and a brand that had strong recognition. And we had a, it was really busy and we had great reviews on Yelp and on Google. We had great reviews on Beer Advocate with all, everything was great. And we said, let's sort of get outside our comfort zone. We had a bar in Hell's Kitchen. We had, we had two bars in Hell's Kitchen. So we had a sports bar and we had the pony bar. This, we, this, we signed the lease in 2011, I guess. We got a, a great corner location in a sort of vibrant neighborhood we're a block 
away from the vi- the true vibrancy of the Upper East Side, but we mm-hmm. are in a good not in a good spot. It's highly, highly, highly residential. A lot of generational families, grandparents, kids. Um, it had been what was at one time a, a traditional working class neighborhood that has evolved like the rest of New York City and the rest of Manhattan into a very wealthy area. Yeah. Um, so we opened up there in 2012. So we had the three stores and things were good. And then it was just a series of stops and starts. Um, without getting too detail specific, um, we had a really bad fire there. We were robbed. and was, Oh, we, that's right. The fire. Yeah. During the course of the robbery, there was an arson and uh, we had to close for a number of months. And around this time, this was the summer of 2015. My partner and I started having conversations about going our separate ways. Um, we had just opened our fourth bar, uh, a third location in Hell's Kitchen. And, um, you know, it just sort of takes time to work out who's going to get what's probably, you know, I've never been divorced. I hope to never be divorced, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I'm guessing that's what it's probably nice, like. Nice quick ad. Yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, you know, it's like, we didn't have four kids, but we had four bars, we had four stores and, you know, all things being equal, they were not. So some of the bars were incredibly lucrative and some were less so. And, you know, so you're dealing with the state liquor authority. So you have to get lawyers involved because nothing, nothing happens with the SLA without, you know, if you have a lawyer and it worked out very well for everyone. I benefited greatly. My former partner benefited greatly. Every, it was a win-win for everybody. Um, nice. Yeah, very fortunate. Very, there was no, there was no losers in the separation, only winners, and it was great. Um, so I, that was, I guess, four years ago. So I've been on my own for four years, and it, life has been amazing. Awesome. Obviously, you, you know, the Pony Bars become well known. You've had visitors from around the world. It's interesting in a city, one of the biggest cities in the world, with the influx of people that you guys get, p- places opening and closing every day. I mean, what is it like to? keep that reputation going and you know continue to build on it with so much competition around you have to have good people you really have to have uh yeah we we don't have any table service uh we have we do now because it's covid but prior prior to covid we had no table service so you have to have really strong bartenders and you know every transaction from ordering a beard ordering a cocktail <coughs> excuse me a glass of water to food everything goes through is facilitated through a bartender and you have to have really strong people to do that um you have to be knowledgeable you have to be fast you have to be professional and 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 all that stuff and the customer always has to come first you're having a bad day customer comes first you have a great day customer comes first and i've had employees for you know i don't have a lot of turnover most of the people that have been with me have been with me for many years um my chef's been with me for 12 years. Uh, a lot of my bartenders have been there four or five years, uh, wow. which is in New York City in a transient type of employment. In a city like New York, that's a long, that's sort of a long time to have people. Um, you know, you're only as good as your employees and I've got great people working for me. I'm very fortunate. Uh, we have, you know, you know, in the kitchen, the back of house, I've had two, one guy's been there 12 years. One guy has been there 15 years. He started in the original stop and then came with me. <laughs> So when you pay, you pay people well, and you treat people with respect, you're going to get, and you know, my people make money. My bartenders do really well. And I think they want to stick around, you know? Yeah. 
So here's a question I'm sure you, I know you've answered before, probably a number of times, but how'd you end up settling on the name, the Pony Bar? For anyone out there that might not know. So the Pony Bar, first of all, it was available. <laughs> but also more importantly- how, how hard was it to find something that was available? Did you run was, through a bunch of no, stuff? No, I had one name and one name only. I had, yeah, yeah, please. I had one name and one name only, and it, it, it was it was available and it was the only name I had, I had the name before I had a location or anything. <laughs> the name came first, the concept came second. Um, two things. Um, the name pony to me in my, in my mind is a very Americana sounding name. Yep. It's not, you know, there's other, there's other words for pony in other languages, but to, to me, the word pony is a very American and very Americana sounding name. It sort of, in my mind, conjures up images of the heartland and of fields of wheat and hops and just America, America, America. Um, so that's really one, the main reason. But also, if you go, if you Google pony glass, there, on Wikipedia, there's a stub that talks about the story of back in the, back in the day, the name pony, pony beers or little beers um, yep. came about. Some people call them old man beers came about through the uh, horse horse racing. But if you were at the track and you were placing bets, you, you wouldn't have time in between races to have a full beer. You'd have a nip or a shorty or a pony and <laughs> work it. You get these little beers at the track. That's why they became known as these little beers became known as pony beers. Um, so we were again, going back to when I launched this concept in 2008, we were going to be the first bar to do these short beers. We were going to have two different size glasses, a 14 ounce pour and an eight ounce pour. Everything was going to be the same price. Everything was going to be $5 across the board. And the difference between the 14 ounce beer and the eight ounce beer was going to be based on the price of the keg and the alcohol content, the ABV. Um, anything over like 8% or eight, eight and a half percent was going to be a short pour. Um, so, so we had the short glasses with these short pony glasses and the name pony is American only. And that's where the name came from. That's where the name comes from. <laughs> True story. There was only one ever name. There was never, this was, there was no plan B. This was the name. So. Oh man. That's wow. That's impressive that you, you know, you had one name in mind and you could actually pull it off. I know. Right, right, right. Have you been able where you are to have any outdoor area yeah um we reopened in may there was nobody initially nobody was allowed inside so we took some of our tables outside um we have you know we have barrels in the bar we took we would roll those out every day we'd roll out the barrels and we set up stools and umbrellas around them and we had uh canopies and tents and we tried to make it sort of like a festive sort of beer garden style thing um we're on the corner of 75th and first on the upper east side and then later in the summer, the city announced two different initiatives. Now, one was for roadway seating, but I'm in a bus lane on First Avenue, so we couldn't do anything there. There's a bus comes by every 10 minutes, you know. Yeah. But on the corner location on 75th Street, they would allow you to build a structure based on the length of your storefront on the side. So I hired my, I brought my contractor back and I said, look, what can we do here? And we, it, we decided to build what we call the stables in terms of the pony. It's 70 feet long. We have eight tables out there. Each table holds six people. So we can seat 48 people on the side and we can seat another 20 in the front. So that's how we've been paying the bills for the last year. 
that when we stopped that in, uh, in December when we closed because it was simply too cold to eat outside. And with the, with the mandate of requirement of food, people don't want to sit outside. It's cold. It's rainy. Yeah. Our stables are covered, but they're 70 feet long. They're very popular. Um, it's been good. Shout out to Bill. I am going to just murder this guy's last name, but Bill Saskowitz. So hopefully that's close enough. He says, this it, sounds like a wonderful perfect. bar. <laughs> Bill Saskowitz is on the money. Uh, I know him. He lives right around the corner from me. <laughs> in fact, in fact, I'm married to his daughter. Oh, special shout out to Bill then. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it's been fascinating to see how the, how restaurants down there have evolved uh, trying to adapt the outdoor seating and what the city has done to allow them to basically cut traffic off to so many streets for them to have a chance yeah. to set up outside. Very much so. A lot of places that have closed since the pandemic is because their landlords would not work with them. I'm only in business despite my best efforts, despite all the pivoting and changes that we've had to do i'm really only in business because my landlord has agreed to work with me and he said look the more i see you try the, the more we'll work with you and then he saw the out saw that we reopened in may and he saw the outdoor seating then in august when we built the stables they've been in, incredibly generous with concessions um otherwise like thousands of others i, I would have been closed by now so are you still able to kind of maintain that community aspect with those tables or is it more yes. of a reserve type thing? It's definitely isolated because you're isolated to win your group to the table. There's no table hopping. There's no, I want to go talk to that guy. I want to talk to that girl. Yeah. That's all sort of gone away for the time being. Um, in the past, I had a sports bar for 11 years and the first six years we were open, we bought a permit from the city for outdoor seating. So a cafe license or a patio license. The first five years, I think we paid the city like $5,000 to have that license. Wow. Um, and it's good from April 15th to October 15th. You have to close down by like 10 p.m. during the week, 11 on the weekends. And then the last year we had it, it was like $9,000. And it didn't become viable. So we released it after that last year. So the city is not charging anything right now. Right now, the city is like, go build what you want. It's free. So everybody is, is, you know, is taking their PPP money and buying tables and buying additional bar stools and buying barrels and building these, these massive outdoor sheds, you know? It's uh yeah. And I, I am super curious to see how it plays out. Uh, you know, if things become more safe, of course, the more people get vaccinated, hopefully run this virus out of town, how much of that can stay and how well it works afterwards. There's already been some pushback in heavily residential neighborhoods within the city about these sheds. Most people call them sheds, patios, cafes, because yeah. they're taking up, like I took up four parking spots. Oh, and, yeah. Parking's not easy to come by. <laughs> no. And these are sort of quasi-free parking spots that you can come and go from. They're not metered parking. So when I started to build mine and some cars weren't going to leave. And finally, I, I, I convinced them to leave, you know, um, but yeah, it's at some point they're not they're not going to be there forever. For, they're not going to be there forever for free. That's for sure. You know. Yeah. I uh, as much as I love going to the city, I never drive and I won't. I just always the train straight down. <laughs> Driving in the city is great. It's easy. I mean, you just you just get used to. It's like doing anything else in life, you just get used to it and you go from there. You know. So. 
we had a, we had a car in the city for 20, 23 years and we'd just drive wherever we were. You know, we uh-huh. ever kids had play dates down in Soho. We drive or we'd go to the playgrounds in the village. We drive and, you know, it's fine parking. Awesome. So I thought a fun way to start wrapping things up. I'd love to hear about some of your being in the city as long as you have either weirdest, like I can't believe what I'm seeing or most memorable moments from running the pony bar. Um, one of the, you know, the craziest thing I've ever seen. And I saw it twice was in hell's kitchen. One of my employees was outside smoking a cigarette and she came and says, Hey, I think you need to see this guy. I said, so I come out and I see a guy, she was that guy down there. And I see a guy roller skating, not rollerblading, but roller skating. And he was wearing white slacks. Um, and he had long hair been pulled back in like a long blonde ponytail. He was older than me. He's probably like this. I'd have to say this in his mid fifties. Roller skating and white dress slacks with a <laughs> ponytail is not strange. That's not strange. You can see that anywhere. This guy was covered in massive, massive white rats. And they were what? moving about his body. Live rats? Live rats. They were not mice. They were massive white albino rats. And he was roller skating. And I now I'm blown away. I've, I've seen... Wait, I, I automatically pictured this guy shirtless. Was he wearing a shirt? He's completely shirtless. That's why I said he was only oh, white slacks. Okay. He had nothing up top. He was... How were the, rat, the rats even staying on him? He was rollerblading around between 10th and 11th Avenue. And that means rollerblading around in case you're watching at home. Um, <laughs> covered in massive white rats, huge white rats with even longer pink tails. And it was mind blowing. And I'd never seen anything like it. And we were just, my bartender and I were just mesmerized by it. We, you know, and then like a year went by or maybe, maybe more than a year. And I saw the guy again. I saw the guy in the same exact spot wearing the same exact white dress pants were the same massive white rats. And they were crawling around him as he skated by. It was really surreal. Oh. I, have an aver- I have an aversion to mice and rats. So that's probably why that jumps out at me. I, I shook just thinking about having a rat crawl on me. It was nasty. They were not mice. They were not moles or anything. They were massive, massive. They're obviously house pets. They're obviously domesticated that he had probably raised, you know. Uh, I, I guess I would hope so. <laughs> I don't know how much better that makes it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, a yeah. shout out to Joe Charnews, who joined the party, lady says. But Dan. Yeah, Joe Charnews is a, a pony bar All-American. Um, he is actually... From what's what's next to Scotia Glenville? Is it Burnt Hills Round Lake? Uh, yes. Well, yeah, that, pretty much just north of it, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's where Joe is from. He lives in Chicago now, but he used oh. to live in the city for many years. Him and his wife and two kids moved out to Chicago. He also has a podcast uh, about monster movies and stuff, horror movies. It's very popular. Nice. I uh, yeah, I actually my buddy Aaron, who's local, does Aaron Sturdivant does a horror podcast, horror with Sir Sturdy. And we both uh, chip in. We do another podcast called Popcorn and Pints, where we drink and talk about movies and nonsense. <laughs> All right. All right. In um, fact, I got to wa- watch two movies later today for our show tomorrow. I'm watching Twins with Arnold Schwarzenegger yep. and DeVito and yep. Caddyshack. So it's going to be a fun, fun show this week. Caddyshack, I, I can probably quote to you. <laughs> you know, most, I haven't seen guys- it. I haven't seen it in so long. I'm looking forward to having a few beers and sitting back and relaxing with it. What are you drinking right now? Uh, I'm still drinking my common roots. All right. 
I uh, but I have a bunch of Sierra Nevada pale ale, just classic clean pale ale in the fridge that I'll be sipping on. Sierra Nevada has a new rep. He lives in Malta, and uh, he's great. He's great. Sometimes I'll I'll send him a text and ask him if he can drop off any samples. You know. Well, uh, last I haven't talked with um, Scott Veltman, the brewer over at Indian Ladder Farms yet, but I know they were at one point going to be working on a collab with Sierra Nevada. I don't know what the status of that was or if that's still coming to fruition i hope it is because that'd be i'd be curious to have that yeah indian ladder they do cider as well right yep yeah i think we've done some of their stuff with cider i haven't seen their beers in the city uh yeah scott scott's a great brewer makes some great stuff uh i can't think of their trailer ipa has been one of my favorites from there that i've had that's good stuff if you come across that and their superstar i think ipa that was those were some good beers i haven't had everything but good stuff do you, do you ever get any free samples? Uh, I occasionally get, you know, some free beer here and there. <laughs> yeah. Free beer it's, is the best beer. It, it is. It's my favorite beer. Free beer is my favorite beer. But it's, you know, it's, I love, I enjoy, beer is kind of the backbone of the podcast. Like one of my favorite things to do, one of the reasons I started is I like just drinking and talking to strangers, like sitting at a bar, striking up a conversation, learning something mind blowing about what they do or a crazy story they have. And that's kind of what I've tried to model the podcast after. And it's been super fun. I've gotten to know a lot of great people, uh, learned a lot about beer. I'm still by no means any kind of expert. I don't think I have the palate I need to have to really distinguish between stuff. <laughs> Before, once we, you know, via email, when we settled on this date and time, I went and found your podcast and listened to a few episodes just so I swear I had a better idea of where we'd be going today. And it's a, I think it's a great show. I think you have a fantastic thing going here. I really do. Thanks. I really appreciate that. Like I said, I like to get the, I, when people ask like what, it, you know, what's going, what's the plan? I'm like, it's more of just drinking, get to know each other. <laughs> That's which is what, what, which is what most people have in that third space of, as a bar. Yeah. You know, meeting someone they've never met before and talking about whatever. Looks like um, our friends, Aaron and Joe are chatting on the chat already about their podcast. So uh, bringing people together. That's what I do. Exactly. Facilitating, <laughs> facilitating relationships. The booze helps, but yes. but uh so i think that's that's gonna be a wrap on this virtual episode dan i really appreciate hanging out with you and chatting with me this was fun thank you so much for the time and thank you so much for the invitation congratulations on three years um 42 podcasts it's great it's not it's a a small accomplishment i've got uh like i said uh thank you out there for people listening i've got some fun fun streams and episodes coming up i actually have a new logo coming that i'm really excited about i have some pint glasses made that'll be given out nice with it uh certainly for anyone listening or watching if you're in manhattan stop by the pony bar first and foremost <laughs> i uh, i find myself over towards niskayuna from time to time I, I hang out at hunters on jay a bit oh uh, i was gonna ask you well yeah some of your favorite places i've heard i've talked with uh jay hunter and zach merriman who's a bartender there who i used to work with years ago at target okay okay uh have mentioned you've gone in there when i was talking to him before yeah, yeah that, that's a great that's a great small place that has so many awesome beers right He's on doing a phenomenal there. job there um we usually get pizzas at marino's we go to hunters oh yeah marino's is great order of marino's have another beer then go pick it up and then we come back to saratoga so yes yeah, connected you've got some great places uh hunters has all like all the you know local breweries and stuff you'd expect uh van dyke is right down the road with mad jack brewing they've got some good yep. stuff going Many years ago, probably 2011, I used to bring their beers down to the city. I'd buy, I'd go up, I'd buy four or five kegs or six kegs, 
drive them to the city. They didn't, at the time, they didn't have their own cooperage. So they'd borrow kegs from the old Saratoga Brewing Company, which is, I think, defunct now. Yeah. Um, and then I'd pour them off and then bring the empties back. Oh, wow. Yep. That's awesome. Uh, thank you so much for your time. No, thank you. Uh, follow the Pony Bar, of course, on all the social medias to keep track of what's going on and the latest rules for the city. Anything else you want to throw in before we get close out? No. Thank you very much for your time, and I'm looking forward to having a beer with you in person. You know? Absolutely. I can't wait, man. Maybe at Hunter's or maybe in the city. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I'm getting vaccinated this month, so I'm looking forward. I'm going to start doing the in-person shows again, so got a lot of fun stuff coming. I'm looking forward to definitely <laughs> drinking in public and not at home anymore. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for your time, and thank you for including me in the Pony Bar. I really appreciate it. you got a great show, Chris. Thanks. I appreciate it. And of course, a huge thank you to everyone out there for checking out the show. You'll find stories from a bar on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at stories FAB to keep follow the show, like it, help keep up with everything going on. Don't forget popcorn and pints on Saturday nights and you'll find the podcast. I'll have the audio of this posted in the next few days, all the major podcast platforms, well, I think Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, Google, all of those. And so until next time, cheers people. Cheers.